You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm talking with David Garrison. He's the Executive Director of Global Gates. David, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Zach. It's my, my privilege, my pleasure. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Global Gates, uh, why you guys exist, and, and uh, what do you guys do? Well, our vision statement at Global Gates is reaching the ends of the earth through Global Gateway cities. And I might need to unpack that just a little bit. Uh, By the ends of the earth, we're referring to those places Jesus said uh, were the ultimate destination of the Great Commission. When he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which were those places that had not yet heard the gospel. And in his day, that was about 99% of the world's population. Today, it's down to about a quarter of the world's population, but there's still uh, unreached Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, Sikhs, uh, people who are largely living in the Eastern Hemisphere in countries and places that are hostile to Christian missions, where mm-hmm. uh, hundreds of millions of people have been locked away for centuries, uh, isolated from the gospel. And so our vision at Global Gates is reaching those people through Global Gateway cities. And that's the other part of our mission. Uh, vision statement is that God is now bringing those people groups, those least reached ends of the earth people groups into our own uh, urban centers, New York City, Detroit, Los Angeles, Houston, and even into second tier cities now, the St. Louis's and Nashville, Tennessee's and Denver, Colorado's, so that we're seeing people groups now that uh, for centuries have been locked away in isolated places and we're finding not only are they here, God's brought them to us, but when we reach them here, they are communicating back home with their families, their villages, their tribes, their communities, so that there's literally a gateway that flows uh, between mm. these immigrant populations and the ends of the earth from which they have come. Interesting. So they're coming to us. We've spent a good amount of time. <laughs> And international missions going and sending, yeah, and now they're 2,000 years. God has said, Go, go, go. And He's finally said, Okay, if you're not going to go, what if I brought them to you? And uh, <laughs> so he, He's meeting us halfway. We still need missionaries to go. Don't get me wrong. We're so grateful uh, for mm-hmm. those missionaries who go to the ends of the earth. But this is sort of a, a missing piece, and it's mm-hmm. an opportunity that is unprecedented and it's, uh, it's brand new. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't see these people groups coming to the West. 30, 40 years ago, if they did come, they could not stay connected uh, to the homelands Mm. from which they had come. Today, they're both coming from those places and they're communicating back to those places. In fact, there's a a flow. Uh, It's Mm. almost like uh, these wormholes that you read about in science fiction that connect one part of the universe to the other. And you pass into one and you appear, you know, a thousand light years away. Well, you can literally step into neighborhoods in New York City or Houston or Detroit, and you turn a corner 
and everyone there is speaking Hassaniya Arabic and they're talking to their family back in Yemen. And it's mm. like you have stepped out of New York City and into Sana'a, Yemen, uh, by simply taking a few steps around the corner. And that's, uh, that's a new day. It's a new world of possibilities in the Great Commission. Mm. Now, that vision statement speaks of unreached. How do you guys define unreached? And how would you view that as different than unengaged, maybe? Well, unengaged is a more extreme version of unreached. So unreached are those that are less than 2% Christian in their population. And, and, and many people groups in the world fit that category. We're going after the tougher nuts, those that are not just um, uh, not Baptist or not Protestant or not evangelical, but those who have had little to no access to the gospel. So for us, that is largely unengaged or underengaged people groups. There's sort of a, a number of uh, non-Christian religions that we we think about in those categories. We think about Muslims. We think about Hindus. We think about Buddhists. We think about Sikhs. Uh, Sikhs being that uh, Punjabi uh, amalgam of religion that came out in the 16th century that is a, a, has a, elements of uh, Hinduism and Islam and even Christian elements within it. And today there are hundreds of thousands of Sikhs living in the United States and Canada, and uh, they continue to stay in contact with their homelands back in the Punjab of India and Pakistan. Mm. Yeah, this globalization that has a lot of negatives to it. As always, God seems to be taking that and using it for his good, huh? He's been doing that for a long time, hasn't he? He sort of takes yep. what man intended for evil <laughs> and uh, he turns it upside down and shows that it's an opportunity for good. And uh, we're just trying to see it through his eyes. Uh, how do mm. we see this current chaotic situation in global uh, population distribution and migration and, and uh, many of the tragedies that have propelled people out of their homelands? And how do we find that that uh, ray of hope in that, and that opportunity to bring about Christ's kingdom in the midst of that difficult situation. Yeah. So how did how the ministry get started? How did you get affiliated with it? And and maybe what is God up to within the organization that you're, that you're particularly excited about? Well, you know, sometimes things happen through the fullness of time. <laughs> and... Uh, one of my uh, friends who's a researcher said, you know, the year that Galileo invented the telescope, 11 other people invented the same thing. And I said, really? Mm. He said, yeah. I said, they, it just, it became famous because of Galileo, but uh, lens grinding technology was of a such that uh, they were able to do things, curiosity about the stars and all these things conspired together for the fullness of time. And in a way, Global Gates has emerged in the fullness of time. Uh, there's, there's long been missionaries who have left the field uh, because of health reasons or because of a crisis with their children, their family, had to come back to the States. That's not new. But when uh, the Claimants, Chris and Nicole Clayman and the Walls, uh, Brad and Sarah Wall, uh, had to leave the field and come back to the United States, uh, instead of going back home to their respective homes of South Carolina or Texas, they found their people groups in metro new york city mm -hmm. and they began working among their people groups in harlem and in queens they didn't know each other 
but they were both um, following a similar passion, a passion to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, regardless of their own personal ability to live overseas. And when they found they had to leave West Africa or they had to leave Indonesia, uh, they came to America, they found people groups, uh, communities from their home, the homelands that they had gone to as missionaries and began ministering among them. And uh, eventually they discovered each other and found out that they had similar vision and passion, which was to see these people come to Christ, not just in, in their diaspora communities, their immigrant communities, but wherever they existed, anywhere in the world. So in a real sense, uh, they simply relocated to continue a global uh, ministry to an unreached people group. And uh, what began is uh, these two uh, young families working in Metro New York uh, became sort of a sticky ball, Zach. Uh, others began surfacing who said, hey, you know, I, I had to leave the field because of this or that or the other, you know, a child with a learning disability or a health issue that caused me to have to leave uh, a frontier mission field. Uh, mm -hmm. Does my people group exist in the United States mm -hmm. or in Canada? And so over time, uh, several of these came together. This all kind of coalesced about 10 years ago with the formation of Global Gates. And uh, Global Gates has been growing, thriving since then. We're now in over 25 cities across North America and in a few strategic places around the world. And we're engaging uh, multiple people groups who have literally come from the ends of the earth. And uh, God has blessed that vision and we continue to see, uh, see it expand, even though we're really just scratching the surface. You know, We could be a mm hundred -hmm. times bigger than we are right now and still not have engaged all of the people groups uh, that God has brought uh, into our global gateway cities here in the West. Hmm. Now, as you shared how this has come about and, and share a little bit about the structure um, from a digital, like my mind always goes digital and, and creative storytelling space. So are you, do you guys have any digital tools or platforms or, or software to help um, help determine what cities have these different people groups and communities so that if I say I was a missionary coming from, I don't know, somewhere in Morocco, I'm coming back to the States and I'd like to still continue to reach that people group that I've spent so much time and energy investing in, learning their language, learning the culture. I, I know that for whatever reason, whether it's health or children or something, I have to come back to the States, but I haven't decided on where I'm going to land. There, is there some type of tool that can help me go, hey, there's a, there's a Moroccan people group in such and such city that I can continue to reach as I make my decision on where to live as I move back to the States? Oh, that's a great question, Zach. I'm glad you asked it because really knowledge, a lack of knowledge our ignorance about uh, this, this new emerging reality is one of the things that prevents the church and missionaries from uh, being able to participate in this, this remarkable opportunity God has given us. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that Global Gates has done, working with our evangelical partners across the country and around the world, is uh, we've put together a website uh, called upgnorthamerica.com, UPG northamerica.com. And uh, if you go to this website, you find it's almost like a clearinghouse for uh, where are these people groups in North America. 
you can actually uh, do a search and put in uh, a city name that you're interested in. And uh, it will tell you all of the sizable UPG populations in that city, Hmm. what their population is, what their religion is, what their language is. It'll even tell you what part of the city they are clustered in. Wow. So that you can know, you know, where to go and find the Punjabi Sikh population in Metro New York, where to go and find uh, the uh, Kurdish population in Nashville, Tennessee, where to find the Afghans in California. Hmm. And, uh, and so it's, it's sort of designed to help, um, on the one hand, remove any excuses we have for not engaging yeah. these people, because now we know, upgnorthamerica.com. And oh, also, cool. uh, uh, it also gives us uh, an empowerment uh, to go to these places to begin to see. Uh, and it, th these folks, by the way, when they do come to America, um, they also create a sticky little ball. You know, one of the first things they do is if they're mistreated, they move some other place. But if mm. they're treated well and if they uh, they can open a place of worship and a grocery store to have their kind of halal food or kosher food, whatever it is, then mm -hmm. uh, they will notify their friends, hey, this is a good place. And uh, once their friends find out, they start coming to that place. And that's why you get these clusters of things like uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, you'll get uh, 50,000 Bosnian Muslims living in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. Now, why in the world would Bosnians <laughs> land in St. Louis? Well, one or two of them landed there. They were treated well. They began to set up shop, and now they're making major contributions to the uh, St. Louis community. They're celebrated. Their restaurants and, and their mm. culture is a, a part of the, the texture of St. Louis. And there's Christians all around there who can share the gospel with them, who might have difficulty sharing it with them in uh, Sarajevo or in some place over in the uh, Balkan states. Mm -hmm. How many... How many cities are there in North America that you guys would classify as global cities? Uh, you know, for us, it's um, it's not so much that they're global as that they're global gateway. So in that regard, we don't choose them. The UPGs choose them. <laughs> mm. So if you got a little town like uh, Hayward, California, which is not a very big city. It's in the South Bay um uh, or Fremont, let me put Fremont, California in as an example. Fremont's not a very big uh, city. It's in the South Bay of San Francisco, uh, just a, maybe a couple of hundred thousand people. But it, it happens to have in it um, 32,000 Afghan Muslims in Fremont, mm. California, and uh, 90,000 um, 90, Hindus in Fremont, California and um, 40,000 Punjabi Sikhs, all concentrated there in Fremont, California. So uh, we would look at Fremont, it wouldn't make our list uh, demographically of one of the larger cities in North America, but because these ends of the earth people have, have clustered there, if you go downtown Fremont, you know, it's actually, there's an area they call Little Kabul, uh, as in Kabul, Afghanistan, and uh, it's mm -hmm. just teeming with these Afghans who fled the Russian invasion uh, back in mm. uh, you know, 40 years ago. So they came over very pro-America and they've been here for 
quite a while. They've raised their kids here. Their kids are as American as you and I, and uh, they just happen to still be Muslims. They're waiting on Christians to come and share the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, um, that, you know, it's something that I never expected to see. Uh, my wife and I were missionaries to uh, unreached people groups. We had been for 31 years with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board. We'd lived in India, we lived in Egypt and Tunisia, and had taken the gospel to some of the least reached parts of the world because we thought there was no other way to reach them. You know, you do what you mm -hmm. have to do. And we were amazed when we came back and found not only had these people come here, but they had, uh, they had stayed connected. And that to us was the real turning point, that these weren't just uh, people who had burned the bridge behind them. They were literally bringing a bridge with them. And mm. we, could, uh, we could put the gospel on that bridge and roll it back and forth both ways. That's cool. With with people who understand the culture and the context and the language and all the things. Yeah. That and that's the that. challenge really for the church today, Zach, is that, uh, you know, there was a time when we sent, um, well, one, one mission pastor put it this way. He said, you know, for, for generations now, we've sent our very best to the ends of the earth. Now the ends of the earth are sending their very best to us. How mm. will we respond? And uh, it's requiring the church to not outsource missions, but to have to make it a part of the DNA of who they are. So mm -hmm. that any church, I know my home church here in Colorado, we're living, uh, our, our church is worshiping, it's located in the middle of a, an area where uh, it's affordable housing. So when new people come to the community, this is where they go. So we've got mm -hmm. Afghans and we've got Iraqis and we've got Kurds, and we've got uh, Syrian immigrants in this uh, community. Uh, but our church, you know, is made up of uh, people who are largely from the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've never had to uh, learn to adapt and to communicate cross-culturally. So one of the challenges that uh, not just our church, but churches all over America is, is to become missionary churches, to really learn what it is. Uh, we had an example, uh, had a, a, a Persian fellow who from a Muslim background, came to Christ. We asked him his story. He said, well, I was an immigrant from Iran. I was a Muslim, but kind of a nominal Muslim. Uh, a friend uh, who was a Christian invited me to his church for a Wednesday night uh, potluck kind of, uh, you know, they had a Wednesday night fellowship meal. So I went mm. to the meal and they were serving uh, barbecued pork and sloppy joes from pork. And I went through the line to be polite, but I didn't want to touch any of it. I didn't have anything to do with it. And I decided, well, I can't go back there again. Well, the church found out about this and they talked about it and they put together a meal that was no pork, nothing offensive, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And they really reached out to this Iranian guy, invited him back. He went back to church. He said, when I saw how much that church loved me, that they were willing to change what they were eating, if not forever, at least for that meal, you know, it touched me so deeply that it opened my heart to the gospel and I became a follower of Jesus. Mm. Well, that's a small thing, but it's a part of what's happening all across America as mm -hmm. churches are becoming missional and rising up to the challenge to be the body of Christ cross-culturally to people who don't know Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a good segue into my next question. What are 
some of the unique challenges and struggles that you guys deal with as a ministry? Well, one of the challenges is really helping the body of Christ to, to be the body of Christ to uh, these immigrant peoples. They are strangers in our land. And uh, especially conservative Christians, a conservative response uh, oftentimes is to fear the outsider and to see them as a threat. And so sadly, many people have uh, not seen the opportunity that uh, these immigrant populations provide, and they've uh, they've uh, seen them as a challenge. I, I remember several years ago when I was still living in India and I was home on uh, furlough, uh, got a haircut at uh, just a little place with an old older woman. She was doing this in retirement. She cut my hair. And so she said, what do you do? And I told her I was a missionary in India. And, and she said, so, uh, so what does that mean? And I started telling her stories about Muslims coming to faith in Christ. We were seeing thousands of Muslims coming to faith in Christ. And I told her a few stories and she finished cutting my hair. And then she looked at me and kind of smiled and said, well, I think we should just bomb them all to hell. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I said, well, you know, that's one response. And I said, maybe there's some other things we could do, you know, like share the gospel with them. But uh, I found that that was not that unusual. This was, you know, uh, probably 10 years ago, maybe 15. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, that sort of a hostility really grows out of fear. Mm-hmm. And the fear comes because we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to treat these people. Um, if I could tell you a little story, uh, one of yeah. our Global Gates missionaries down in Houston, he, uh, he was uh, moving through the Afghan community. And most of these Afghans who had come into the United States in the last couple of, couple of uh, years, last five years, had this special immigrant visa where they're allowed to come in because they had served with our, our U.S. military in Afghanistan and their lives were literally at risk uh, to remain in Afghanistan. So my buddy Kevin, he, uh, he was talking to this Afghan man. He said, so how long have you been here in Houston? And, and the fellow said, well, I've been here about a year and a half. And Kevin said, uh, you know, um, I'm guessing you're one of those guys that served with our military. And he goes, yeah. I said, I was a translator and a driver. And uh, Kevin said, you know, here in Texas, we're, we're pretty patriotic. And if we see someone in uniform, we'll often say to them, thank you for your service. In fact, in, in a restaurant, we may go by and pick up their check and pay their pay the meal uh, costs for them because we're we believe in in our servicemen. He said, I'm just curious. He said, has anyone ever thanked you for your service? Well, this Afghan was stunned. He looked at him and said, no. He said, why would anyone thank me for my service? And Kevin said, well, didn't you serve alongside our military? And the guy said, well, yeah. He said, but no one's ever thanked me. Kevin said, we need to fix that. And so uh, Kevin went to his church, talked to his uh, church staff, and they immediately realized that there was an injustice here. And so they put together what they called a thank you for your service banquet. And uh, they invited uh, all these Afghan SIV, special immigrant visa recipients, uh, to come to the church for a banquet. And uh, they brought their you know, wife and children. And, uh, and then some of the men in the church who were veterans themselves heard about this. And they said, hey, these guys saved my life. These guys took tremendous risks to work with us. He said, could I come and share a testimony of what they did for us? Mm. Some of these military guys actually showed up in full uniform and came in and stood at the microphone and told their story of how these 
these Afghans had been so special in uh, serving them. And we let the Afghans tell their story, where they lived, where they served, the price they paid. Some of them had lost family members in retaliation from the Taliban for their service to the military. And, you know, that changed the whole conversation, Zach, uh, between mm. the church and the immigrant community. Prior to that, they said, you know, we had people who just, you know, they wanted to spit on us. They despised us. They cursed us. They assumed we were a part of the Islamic uh, extremism, the militant Islam that uh, Americans were fighting around the world. And suddenly they saw us as people. Mm. And that changed the conversation. Well, I brought that story back here to Colorado. We got a lot of military here in the Colorado Springs area. Next thing you know, man, we had one of our church members put together a banquet uh, for Afghan special immigrant visa people. Thank mm. you for your service. Gave them a little diploma. Thank you for your service. And then had another night. We found we couldn't mix these. We had one for the Iraqi uh, okay. Arab immigrant. <laughs> we also had that. Found they didn't get along real well with the Afghans, so we had to have two separate banquets. But, you know, again, it changed the conversation and it allowed us to have a, an opportunity to uh, see them as brothers and sisters and to build bridges uh, that Jesus can walk across into their mm. hearts. That's cool. Yeah, just looking for opportunities to serve that need and, and show the hands and feet of Jesus to open up opportunities to share the gospel. That's cool. Um, offline, you mentioned the topic of global migrations. Can you talk about what that means for the church and uh, maybe share why it's important? Yeah, uh, demographers, population uh, analysts, global population analysts tell us that we're living in the midst of an unprecedented day of, uh, of global migration. You know, at the end of World War II, uh, we saw the biggest uh, migrations in history, but it was largely people fleeing you know, the communist uh, takeover of Eastern Europe and, and uh, Jews fleeing uh, Europe and going to uh, Palestine to create the nation of Israel. Today, we're seeing it happen all over the world. Um, some of it is based on uh, warfare that's happening in their countries. Some of it is results of, of uh, climate change, quite frankly. Uh, people in sub-Saharan Africa who's, uh, and in Central America whose climates are in... in uh, uh, a changing situation, whether it's human caused or whether it's caused by uh, natural cycles. That's not really my point here. The point is it's happening and it's just leading to massive flows of people out of Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, uh, out of uh, Eritrea. A lot of these are political movements out of Nigeria, out of sub-Saharan mm -hmm. Africa and the Central uh, American countries. And, uh, it causes us as Christians to say, what can we do? What should our response be? How do we see this through the eyes of Christ? And, um, you know, I'm, I was uh, just made aware this last week of a, a sculpture that uh, was recently, in 2019, was added to the, uh, the, uh, the courtyard there, the piazza at uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And, you know, they've got all these Michelangelo's and and Donatello's, these things that haven't, uh, they, they were put in 400 years ago. They haven't added a statue in 400 years, but they did add one in 2019 uh, by Timothy Schmaltz, a Canadian sculpture. And it's this, um, it's a boat. It's a, like a barge, a big boat. And packed on it are all of these people 
who are immigrants. They're coming from uh, every kind of nationality you can imagine. You can see there's, you know, there's Jewish, there's Eastern European, there's Sub-Saharan African, uh, there's Middle Eastern, and they're all packed in together. And in the middle of that crowded sea of humanity that's on this boat, you see these angel wings that are sticking out from somewhere in the middle. And uh, the name of the sculpture is Angels Unawares. And it comes from the King James version of uh, that passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, that says, don't, uh, don't forget to entertain strangers, because in so doing, some of you have been entertaining angels unawares. Um, and that's a part of what's happening today. You know, we see this wretched refuse washing up on our shores and we say, you know, there's, we're full up, you know, there's just no room, but, uh, we forget where Jesus was in this conversation and, in, in uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 25, when he said, I was a stranger and you took me in, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And that, um, that reminder that it's not just angels scattered in amongst these immigrants, it's actually uh, Christ himself. Jesus has chosen to identify himself with this wretched refuse um, that is now washing up on our shores. So part of it is a ministry calling, a ministry challenge for us to uh, see them as Jesus saw them. But again, also today is to see them as a strategic opportunity to, to not only win them to Jesus, to minister to them, but to also bring them into the family of, of a Great Commission uh, mm. activists. And what we found in Global Gates, for example, and this has been so fun, is that some, of our, some of our greatest Global Gates missionaries, uh, they're, uh, they're not from the Bible Belt. They're mm. from Bangladesh. They're from uh, Guinea, West Africa. They're Fulani. They're from uh, a Somali background. You know, they're from uh, the Sikh world, or they're Turkic Muslim background believers. And uh, we've got one uh, woman's from Yemen. You know, she was raised a Muslim. Her family was Muslim. She, someone invited her to Brooklyn Tabernacle. She went and got so moved by the singing. If you've ever been there, you'll understand what that means. It's like a hallelujah chorus mm -hmm. up in every song. She fell in love with Jesus, and now she's a Global Gates missionary helping us reach her people. So uh, this is not limited to white Western folks from uh, the Bible Belt. It's open up to every nation, tribe, and tongue to be a part of this great ingathering of mm. people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who will be gathered around the throne someday. Yeah. How, how does disciple making or, or any disciple making structures work within your organization? So as, as these people come to know Christ who are in these global gateway cities, how are you ensuring that you're making disciples of these people who make disciples, who go and, and take seriously this Matthew 28 call to bring this message back to their home countries and, and, the native cultures where they're from? Well, that's a, a, a core question, and it's a, it's a key question that you're asking, Zach. And, you know, for us, we realize if we disciple them into our community, they'll have all the 
strengths and weaknesses of our community. Uh, mm. Instead, we're trying to disciple them into Christ so that uh, they have the same um, sola scriptura, sola fide, Christ alone, uh, the word of God alone. And uh, they submit themselves to that. We walk with them um, in teaching them that this is what we do. This is what we're all required to do is to say, Lord, whatever you would have me do, I will do it. And our authorities are the word of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Uh, what that means sometimes is that, uh, well, I, I've had Afghan friends that have you know, come to Christ that I've brought to church with me. Uh, but the things that they hear in the Sunday morning sermons in our church are sort of geared toward a, a white, Western, middle-class, uh, suburban community. These guys are coming out of Afghanistan with PTSD, with a background of um, women's rights being uh, negligible, if they exist at all, with all kinds of challenges. So it's important for them to realize that uh, they are responsible to Christ, to obey him, to obey God's word, and to, uh, to follow whatever he leads them to do. Uh, and what that does is it, it, it brings a different message to them. They end up seeing things that we didn't see in Scripture. So while their discipleship, we can give them the core elements of here's what it means to be saved. And, you know, we walk through the plan of salvation five different ways so that they know, you know, they are saved, 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 and saved again. <laughs> we take them mm -hmm. down the Roman road. We talk about uh, uh, the four spiritual laws. We'll talk about you must be born again and uh, make sure that they really do see it from several angles and, and really understand it. Uh, we talked to them about uh, having uh, a daily time with God so that uh, they recognize that when they confess their sins, uh, they're exhaling uh, bad things from their life. When they praise God and read God's word, they're inhaling spiritually. And this is a life process that goes on every day. But probably the most important thing we teach them to do is how to feed themselves from God's word. Uh, so we go back to uh, a Paul and Timothy model. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, when Paul was in prison and he realized that, you know, the, the pattern that the church had been following of sitting at the apostles' feet was one that was rapidly coming to a close because the apostles were all being killed or imprisoned, put in exile, or they were off like Thomas on a mission trip to India. And so Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's, mm. it's theopneustos. It's full of God's spirit. And it's useful for doing four things. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. And it's useful for training in righteousness. He said, Timothy, if you'll let it do these four things you will become fully equipped for every good work. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Well, we've looked back at that and seen, you know, that's pure genius. Uh, Paul was really setting the stage for the second level of church discipleship and maturation, the post-apostolic era. When they would look back to the Gospels, they would look to the epistles, and they would read in them, and they looked to the Old Testament, and they would read into it through the Holy Spirit's interpretation. What is God teaching us? What is God rebuking? What is he against? What are the heresies or immoralities? What is God correcting in my life? 
What does he want to change to make me more like him? And finally, what's the training in righteousness? What are the things that I'm going to apply to my life today and this week moving forward that will help me become more fully equipped for every good work? So that little uh, Pauline or Timothean uh, template of... Um, what we call sometimes the right question uh, application of God's word. Right questions being what's right, teaching. What's not right, rebuking. How do I get right, correcting. How do I stay right, training in righteousness. The four mm. right questions. Uh, we teach that early on in the discipleship of uh, new believers coming in so that even if they never see us again, they can read God's word and say, what's God teaching me in this? What's God rebuking? What's he correcting in my life? And what am I going to apply to my life today and throughout this week to become more fully equipped for every good work? Mm. Mm. Yeah, Obedience-based disciple-making. It is indeed. And you've written a couple of books on this, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sort of a phenomenologist. I try to describe the phenomenon that I'm seeing and ask the question, what can we learn from this? So I wrote a book back in... 2004 called uh, Church Planting Movements, How mm. God is Redeeming a Lost World, in which uh, I analyzed uh, about 25 rapidly multiplying movements of churches planting churches in uh, remote places all over the world and uh, tried to identify patterns. You know, how is God at work and how can we better be a part of what God's doing if this is what's leading millions of people to faith in Christ? And then in 2014, did a similar thing in the Muslim world, looking at this phenomenon of, of uh, the millions of Muslims who are coming to Christ today that has never happened before in church history, and asking the question, you know, what's different? Why now? And what can we learn from these emerging movements that are taking place in literally every corner of the Muslim world? And, mm -hmm. and uh, how can the body of Christ, how can we as Christians better position ourselves to participate in this great uh, in-gathering of Muslims into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to link those books in the show notes and, and anything. Oh, yeah. That book, by the way, is called uh, A Wind in the House of Islam. Um, mm. That's second book on Muslim movements to Christ. Okay, cool. Well, um, let's, uh, let's take a moment to hear from today's sponsor. When we come back, we will continue to um, our discussion on global migration and and uh, our talk with David Garrison. Are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen? There's good news. Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages, and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google Ad Grant and then manages your Google Ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with David Garrison about global gates and the global migration that take that's taking place and what that means for the church. Uh, as we get back into the conversation, 
There was a study done about a decade ago showing 95% of full-time Christian workers are working within the Christian world. That means that 5% of Christian workers globally are working to reach unreached people groups. Now, obviously, that problem is not as simple to solve as the the statistic makes it sound, right? But unreached and unreached Unreached and unengaged people groups tend to be difficult to reach for a reason, and there's an endless list of variables that cause that difficulty. Can you share how, uh, share with us how Global Gates is working to solve that specific problem? Yeah, it's almost like, uh, Zach, I could say, let me share with you how God is at work to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Global Gates is simply trying to ride the wave of what God is doing. You know, it's true that as you look at that area that's been called the 1040 window, that area 10 degrees north of the equator, up to 40 degrees north over in the Eastern Hemisphere, inside that area exists over 90% of the world's unengaged and least reached people groups. It has not become easier for missionaries or even businesses mission to get into those places. These are, these are tough areas. Uh, mm-hmm. But what God is doing is he's literally extracting people from those areas and keeping them connected to those areas. It's almost as if you can imagine, uh, pardon this metaphor, but as if he was unrolling a fuse from uh, Mm. ISIS territory or from Iran or from Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan or Mongolia. And he's rolling these fuses all the way out to St. Louis and Mm. to Nashville and to New York City and to San Francisco, where we can engage these people with the gospel. And when they get lit with the gospel, they burn that fuse all the way back to the homelands from where they came and a Mm. gospel explosion can take place. Uh, Just to give you an example, I did interviews with a lot of Iranians who had come to Christ and I was interviewing them. They had just left the country and I was in Turkey and they have free access to cross the border and go into Turkey. And many of them had come to Christ, but uh, uh, because of that, they were told you can either stay here and go to jail in Iran or you can get out of the country. And so they went to Turkey. And as I was interviewing them, many of them referred to having relatives uh, among the hundreds of thousands of of Iranians in Southern California. In Mm. fact, there were so many that they referred to Los Angeles as Tehranjalis because it was Mm. like a little Tehran. Uh, Iranians everywhere. And what we're finding is that in these open access places, we can find virtually any people group on earth now is somewhere here in our own backyard. We've got Uyghurs in place, you know, Uyghurs way out in the remote, difficult interior of China, right up against the Tian Shan Mountains. They're the most landlocked people on earth. And we're hearing these horror stories of how the Chinese government's trying to abuse and destroy them. We've got Uyghurs now living in Canada. We've got a Uyghur mm. restaurant in New York City. And through these places, these communities, we can impact Uyghurs all the way back in uh, Kashgar and uh, Urumqi, these major cities of Xinjiang province in the interior of China. Hmm. Do you do you think that a lot of the underground church growth that's taking place in Iran and Afghanistan that we're hearing about is coming through these global gateway cities? <laughs> yes and no. Um, I think God is doing something unique in these places over there. Mm. I don't think it's just the fuses that, that are being lit here. Because in fact, in many cases, people come to Christ in Iran, they come to America, and they get so seduced by the secularism 
the opportunities, the relativism, that they drift away from the red hot passion of their faith. And that's mm-hmm. a sad reality of the, the secular materialistic world that we have here in the West, where there's so many opportunities that Jesus becomes one of many options for you. Uh, but we're kind of finding the flow goes both ways, that sometimes we're bringing hot coals of passionate evangelists out of these um, ends of the earth places like Bangladesh and uh, in India and bringing them to communities here in the West where they're lighting a fire and spreading the gospel among these uh, immigrant communities that are here. So it's a flow that goes back and forth both ways. And I think mm-hmm. that's the key is to realize what God is doing here is he's opening up these channels, these gateways, these, uh, these, these gospel portals. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do as Christians is position ourselves strategically so that we can be a part of that flow of the gospel back and forth. Hmm. Now, we talked about this a little bit during our break, but um, one of the things that I've noticed about the ministry world is that ministries tend to have a hard time partnering with other ministries. Churches have a hard time partnering with other churches. How can churches and parachurch ministries um, get involved in what you guys are doing? What does partnership look like for you guys and maybe as you answer that question, can you give us some thoughts on the importance of partnership just in general? Yeah, for us, uh, Zach, we realize that partnership is essential. We're strong believers in the local church. Uh, we believe that it's not a coincidence that God has brought these ends of the earth people groups right into proximity with the local church. And so everywhere we go, we're trying to, to collaborate and partner with with churches that have a great commission vision, a vision that that goes beyond themselves. You know, Jesus said to his disciples uh, 2000 years ago, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white into harvest. And uh, that's what I think he's saying to the church today. Lift up your eyes from the pews, lift up your eyes from the pulpit, lift up your eyes from the stained glass windows, look out into the fields and see that they're ripe into harvest. And that's where we're we're standing. <laughs> Our missionaries mm-hmm. are out in those fields saying, come and join us. This is the greatest thing in the world to be a part of. There's no greater joy than to, to bring an unreached people group to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, to that end, we've had uh, churches come and join us in uh, sending uh, sometimes the, their own church members to become Global Gates missionaries, sometimes sending interns to spend time with us sometimes volunteering with us to adopt and pray for an unreached people group. Uh, We also have something called Sifting Weeks, which has been a lot of fun, in which we'll set up a week in uh, in Jackson Heights, which is an area of Queens, New York. It has over 200 languages spoken in that one one community. And you can reach Tibetans and Bangladeshis and Yemenis and Saudis and Sikhs and any kind of group you can imagine right there in that one community. So we'll have a team of uh, volunteers come up from uh, a church in North Carolina or a church in, uh, in Pennsylvania, and they'll spend a week with us just going out and just uh, sharing their life with people in the community, asking them questions, getting to know them, looking to see where God is at work. And when they ask questions that lead to, a, yeah, you know, I've been having this dream about someone who's shining as bright as the sun, and he's reaching out to me. Uh, But I don't know who it is. I can't make out his face. Well, we get that person's contact information. And so that's our sifting. We call it sifting week because we're sifting through thousands of contacts and relationships to find out where the Holy Spirit is at work. 
And then mm-hmm. our missionaries can follow up with those individuals and share the gospel clearly with them and then begin a discipleship process that brings them not only into the kingdom, but also back into the harvest fields to win their friends and family to Christ. So, yeah, that partnership with churches is absolutely indispensable. And uh, you can visit our website, globalgates.info. And there's a section there on how to get involved. And it'll show you opportunities where you can uh, get involved on several different levels, including being part of a sifting week in Washington, D.C. or Detroit or New York City or Houston. Mm. That's really cool. Um, Most of our audience knows that as a ministry, we are passionate about storytelling. How does how does story and testimony play a role in global gates in whatever sphere that you want to focus on? Well, you know, we, we often tell our story, you know, here's, here's my story. And then we tell God's story. We found that that's a nice way to connect with people. Uh, but we've also found that um, for broad sewing, we use something that's been called media to movements. And uh, what we do is we will uh, work with uh, a national partner, somebody maybe from a Bangladeshi Muslim background or a Yemeni Muslim background or a Sikh, uh, Punjabi Sikh background, and let them tell their story. Here was what my life was like before Jesus. And here's how I met Jesus. And here's what my life has been like since Jesus. You know, putting that into the, the heart language of the people we're trying to reach. And then to, uh, to put it into a little video clip that we can use on Facebook or, or whatever social media our people group tends to uh, gravitate toward. So we can get a message out broadly and thousands and thousands of people within their community will see and hear it in their heart language. And mm-hmm. out of those thousands who hear it, you know, there may be a hundred who say, you know, I'd like to know more about this. And they connect in with us and then we can respond with a further message that eventually gets into their hands, a Jesus film, uh, a gospel portion, and then draws them from that into a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and discipleship. So it's this casting the net as broadly as possible, using stories in the heart language of the people, and then finding out who responds. Where is the Holy Spirit at work? And how can mm-hmm. we then meet those people where they are, address the questions that they have as they continue their journey toward a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Interesting. That's really cool. That's beautiful. I, <clears throat> You see you see that kind of take place with the woman at the well where Jesus has this interaction with this woman. She, he tells her everything about her life and uh, she realizes he's the Messiah. He says, go and testify of what you've seen here today. And all she has, she's not educated. She's not got a seminary training. She just had an afternoon with the Lord experiencing the Messiah. She goes into her community and testifies. This man's name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. And he told me everything about my life. That's all she said, right? She gave her testimony. She shared her story. And the next time Jesus and the disciples come through that community, there's 4,000 people that are prepared to receive the gospel because of her story. And so it's cool to see that you guys are using that same type of model of sharing stories and testimonies out into this digital world where we're seeing incredible, incredible engagement and attention being spent in these digital spaces. Um, my question for you guys, uh, because as we've talked with ministries that are that are engaging with people online, that are putting a focus and an intentionality towards the digital space and the opportunities that are there, how do you take that in, incredible engagement 
that that everyone seems to be experiencing in digital and turn it into some type of disciple making relationship because that seems to be a barrier that everybody runs into. So what are you guys doing with the engagement that you're experiencing through media to movements or otherwise mm-hmm. to get moved from engagement because we know that that's not enough to disciple making relationships? Yeah, well it's really about intentionality, isn't it? If you're if your aim is to get a message out, well, you can get a message out. You can do mm-hmm. it more and less effectively, depending on the language and, and the, the cross-cultural communicative competence that you have. But if your aim is to get to a movement where you want to see multiplying disciples, disciple multiplication movements or church planting movements, uh, then you can't, you can't stop with just broadcasting a net and say, well, I did my right. part and then walk away. You're going to have nets out there all wrapped up with fish <laughs> drowning in the nets. You know, that's not what you want to see happen. So uh, with media to movements, what our, our missionaries are doing, and we're part of a, a, a larger movement of this around the world, is we have that intentionality that we're not satisfied until we see these people who are interested uh, come mm-hmm. all the way into the kingdom. They're in a discipleship relationship with other disciples. They're forming the kind of church that can reproduce itself and is reproducing itself in its own community. So that's uh, that's the aim. That's the purpose. That's the intention. And step by step, you know, when people respond to an ad, that's simply step one. If they mm-hmm. respond to a little testimonial, well, that's step one. You know, step two is uh, get them some scripture. Step three is get them a gospel presentation. Step four is get them into a discipleship plan. Step five is to begin to get them into a, uh, a sticky little ball of disciples who are passionate about doing whatever Jesus commands them to do. And then step six is, you know, teaching them how to reproduce that, that mm. uh, little community of faith so that we can see multiplying disciples and multiplying churches in their community. Mm. Well, David, this has been really good. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show and taking time to, to talk with us. If, uh, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you guys are doing at Global Gates, how can they get a hold of you? And then are there some books or some websites that you would like us to, to, you would like to direct us to as we wrap sure. up today? Um, yeah, I would point them to our, our Global Gates website, which is simply globalgates.info. Uh, we're not a .com or a .biz or a .org. We're a .info. And on that website, they can see how to get more involved and, uh, read some articles and, and get some resources, see some videos about uh, what Global Gates is doing and how it's equipping uh, Christians and churches to be effective in reaching the ends of the earth. Um, a couple of books I would recommend. One is uh, by Chris Clayman, one of the co-founders of Global Gates. Chris Clayman wrote a book called uh, Super Plan, Super Plan, A Journey into God's Story. It's available on Amazon and also available from our uh, website, uh, the Global Gates website, or the Superplan website. And it tells the story of, of Chris's uh, journey into uh, Global Gates and the, the emergence of Global Gates. It's a wonderful little book. Uh, it's also available on Kindle, if you prefer to get it that way. Uh, I would also point you to uh, our uh, website at churchplanningmovements.com. Churchplanningmovements.com has a bookstore link. And on it, you'll see just a whole bunch of books that are related to uh, church planning movements, disciple multiplication movements. You'll see there how you can get these books. Uh, They're also available uh, on Kindle, and you can uh, 
get them digitally if you prefer to get them there. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Uh, as we wrap up, can I pray for you today? Thank you. Please do. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to talk with David Garrison and uh, spend some time learning uh, from him and the experience and expertise that he has in this space. Lord, I thank you for his obedience to go and make disciples and to follow after you, to uh, allow you to guide him and lead him. Uh, I pray that you would be with him as he leads his team, that you would continue to bless and grow and uh, make Global Gates more and more effective, Father, for your name and for your glory, so that more people can know you and have a relationship with you. Uh, thank you again that we get to be a part of this redemptive work, Lord, that you've chosen to invite us into this and let us and allow us to be a part of this, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. God yeah, bless David, you, thank you. Appreciate yeah, and it. And maybe Thanks. we'll get back in touch down the road as uh, this new ministry I'm involved in begins to... Uh, take shape. We'll look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. We're excited. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. All right, brother. Bless you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.